Welcome to I Want to Put a Baby in You, a podcast exploring reproductive technology and life-changing stories. Here are your hosts, Jennifer White and Ellen Trackman. Welcome to I Want to Put a Baby in You for a very special episode, which I like to think they're all special. But this story, this episode, just the story is absolutely mind-blowing. Can you even imagine getting a phone call that says, hey, guess what? You're a parent. Your genetic child was born to another woman across the country. Although I guess it wasn't a phone call. It was in person, which makes a lot more sense. Which but made it, yeah. We dive into that story, which is incredible and fascinating. And we have an attorney involved in the case to talk about it. But before we fully dive in, Jen, do you have any good stories of surprising phone calls that you've received? Uh, so I like those situations. Mine are not usually via phone call. I guess a lot of mine are in person. Um, I think many people know that we're a military family. And I think it's always, always, even when you know that the news is coming, it's always surprising to find out where we are moving the next time we have to move. Um, Brian and I actually made a rule a while back that if at all possible, he would deliver that news in person. And so sometimes he's gone to some pretty extraordinary lengths, like to like try to make sure that he is like, he'll like drive across town 45 minutes and just show up randomly in my office. And I'll be like, Hey, why are you you here? And then I know something is happening. (laughs) So yeah. And this last one, he had been coming home for lunch a bunch and I knew we were waiting for news on where we were going. And every time he would come home for lunch, I'd be like, why are you home? What are you about to tell me? (laughs) And then when he finally did, it was like, he walked in, walked past me in the hall at my home office and like casually was like, Hey, we're moving to Connecticut. And I'm like, wait, what? <laughs> Wait a second. Um, so, you know, sometimes surprising news does not come the way you think it's going to come. So wh- what about you? What, do you have a story about surprising news? Uh, yes, not, not me receiving the phone call, but I got to hear the story afterwards, which I thought was pretty hilarious. Uh, so when my husband decided to propose to me, I guess kind of last minute, he decided to go the traditional route and ask for like, permission or the blessing from our father. Uh, But I think somehow casually in conversation, it came up like, oh yeah, I know they're on a cruise right now. (laughs) So I was like, (laughs) which they like to go on cruises. He's like, oh no, that phone calls going to be hard. So I got to learn later that because I had mentioned they were on a cruise, he then called either you or a brother, I forget. Maybe they I called think it was Dave. our brother. I don't think it was me, I yeah. Dave, and he like let, the, let him know what cruise line or what it was. And then he called the cruise, which I guess is a hard thing to do. And there was some kind of like announcement on the ship for him to take, for dad to take a call. And so by the time he like got to the phone call, he was like, what is it? What's wrong? <laughs> I right. He like assumed I had like died in a fiery car crash or something. But I um, mean, if you're calling a cruise line <laughs> and it is an emergency call, I would think you generally would probably think the worst. Yeah. Yeah. And I was like, oh, no, no, no. I just want to ask her to marry me. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> <sighs> Rocky Oh uh, Yeah. But- <clears throat> that would be surprising. Uh, a surprising phone call for sure. (laughs) 
Right, right. Um, but on to more equally surprising, surprising yeah. <laughs> not equally, way more surprising and That's shocking is this interview coming up with Eric Rubel, who we've had on the podcast before, um, telling really fascinating legal stories, but he was directly involved in this case. And I think that you'll want to stay tuned for it. We're proud to welcome Eric Rubel back to the podcast. Thank you, Eric, for joining us. Thank you for having me back. As a quick reminder for those who haven't listened to the previous episode with Eric, Eric is an attorney in New York. And the last podcast, we spent a lot of time talking about how the law had developed in terms of parentage and parental rights in New York. Um, And it's been a really fascinating evolution and really good podcast to go back to. Today's episode, we're going to focus on a really very interesting case. I mean, one of those that just makes your jaw on the floor that something could happen like this. And Eric's knowledge um, in depth, as well as the law that applies to this crazy case. So where to start? Eric, do you want to introduce kind of the, the background and the facts of the Cha fertility case? Sure. So this case came to me in May of uh, last year. And uh, my client had called the office around, I don't know, 7, 7.30 at night and left a message on my voicemail. And I and I picked it up on my cell. I was going to say, you don't you don't answer at 7.30 at night. I thought in New York, you'd like sleep in, show up at the office at 11, work till midnight. No? <laughs> no. no, I have two kids, so they go Fair off to enough. the bus. Um, I have to go. Um. <laughs> so the call's late at night, but did you respond that night? Yeah, so I was getting off the train and was in the parking lot getting my car, and I called her back. And she told me this story that made absolutely no sense. I could barely follow it, but she was absolutely distraught. I'm like walking in my car and then I'm sitting in my car. Like it was at least a 25 minute phone call. I'm sitting in my car and I'm like, I still don't get this. But I said, look, I'm going to call you in the morning. I'm going to, you know, we'll arrange a time. And she was in California or we'll, you know, figure out a time to call. And she was like, okay. And then I drove to the restaurant to meet my husband and I was 30 minutes late. And he was like, where were you? And I'm like, I got to tell you this story. Like, and then he was like, okay, that was worth it. So this is the story. Okay. I, I just imagine when you got the call, you must be like, that can't, this can't be right. This can't be true. Right. It's just that, that far out there. And I'm like, I don't know what to do for her. But the only thing I said to her was I'll get your son back, which Aww. she reminds me every time wow. I speak to her. I speak to her probably... I don't know. I speak to them probably every four or five months and I ask for pictures because I love seeing her kids. Um, He just turned, her son just turned one uh, at the end of March and they sent me the birthday pictures. So it's really special. So, okay. So I'm going to have you take out your pens and paper because you are going to need it. Okay. So we have three couples. Couple Q. That's the Asian couple. They're couple Q because they live in Queens and they are an Asian couple, husband and wife, no children who used the fertility clinic in California to create viable embryos. You have, and put them in the middle. On the left side, you have couple M and couple M are my clients and it's a husband and wife. They have a child, a daughter who I think was six. And they also use 
the fertility clinic in California to create embryos. They had used it previously for their daughter, and they were using it again to conceive a, a second child. On the right side, another couple, we're going to call them couple T. They are Armenian, husband and wife. They go to the fertility clinic as well, same clinic, and they are doing, they are, they are creating their own embryos. Okay, three couples. We've got couple Q in the middle in New York, couple M, your clients, and another couple, couple T. Okay, ready, ready. So in early March of 2019, couple M gets a call from the fertility clinic and they say, um, we need you to come in and we need you to do a DNA test. And they're like, why? And like, we just need to do it for our records. I, I feel like one of the articles said, oh, it's standard quality assurance or something is what they said. You're like, oh, okay, sh- sure, okay. Yeah, quality <laughs> control. That was it, quality control. Um, so she's like, um, what do you mean quality control? Well, but wait, so we, we have to go back a little bit. So I assume they all went, they went through transfer, right? And they didn't, she's not pregnant, right? As when she's requested. You know what? It's better to go this way <laughs> okay. through the story. Okay, sorry. Because uh, then it could, because when it hits you, you're going to have to pick yourself up out of the chair. Okay, sorry. Uh, okay, keep going. It's I, okay. I feel like it's going to be like a movie where this is like the first scene and we're going to have flashbacks, but... Oh. Yeah, I just don't know who's going to play me. That's the hard part. You know, it's just, it's, you know? That's a tough choice, yeah. Yeah, you know, it's it's there's so many good actors out there, but, you know. So anyway, um, they go in, they do the DNA testing. A day later, they hear back from the clinic to come in, they want to talk to them. Mm. They go in that evening and they are told that one of their embryos was implanted in another woman. Jeez. Yeah. Okay. And? Not only that, but couple T, who is Armenian also, one of their embryos was implanted in a, in a couple. And in fact, an embryo from couple M and couple T were each implanted in couple, in the woman in couple Q. She was carrying embryos from two separate families. Oh my God. She had no idea at the time that they were implanted. Now, they were all implanted apparently on the same day because fast forwarding to the very end when I brought couple M and couple Q together the fathers looked at each other and said you are in the waiting room oh wow, wow. they knew it they, they recognized each other so what happens though is mom does a mom from couple Q only wanted girls. She had a number of embryos, 10, nine were girls, one was a boy. When they did the sonogram, they said to her, congratulations, you're having two girls, two boys, excuse me, two boys. No, 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 girls, girls. No, she's like, not possible, I'm having two girls. And they're like, no, 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 you're having having two boys. Mm -hmm. She knew at that point that clearly something was wrong. She was going back to the fertility clinic who was telling her, sonogram is wrong. We know what we implanted. You're fine. Wow. Well, at birth, 
is when it really came clear because an Asian couple had two Armenian boys. I mean, they are clearly not yeah. Asian. So, and what's even more amazing is that she had, quote, twins who have no connection with each other. So children are born and my clients in California are dealing with the fertility clinic. And then the fertility clinic gets in touch with counsel for couple Q, the birth parents. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And they are just basically stalling. They won't turn over the children. They won't do anything. They're trying to preserve their claims against the fertility clinic. And it just stalls. So that's when couple M comes to me and says, hey, I need to, we need to get our child. So what we did was we we drafted a writ of habeas corpus, which is to bring the baby to court, you know, produce the child. And we served the lawyers for the birth parents because they wouldn't disclose their name. We had no idea what their names were, but we knew who the lawyers were and we knew they had an office in Nassau County in New York. So I served them there and made it returnable in New York County. Since I was the plaintiff, I could choose the county. I wanted it in front of judges who I knew I had already educated about issues about intended parents. Because these are people who are at my judge yeah. at judges school, so I knew they knew the law. Right, and just to back up, were were your clients were couple M? I mean, they were probably worried that they might never see their child or have legal rights. They child. were absolutely distraught. They were incredibly distraught. It's not like this happens that often, right? Luckily, um, to Hopefully have a lot of legal legal precedent. But I, I do know of a case in Italy where this happened where, yes. I mean, not, not exactly the same. I mean, it wasn't two different couples and then a third couple caring, but where there was an embryo mix up and one couple ended up carrying another couple's embryos and gave birth and that it was found out in a lawsuit ensued. And in that case, the judge ruled that the birthing parents were the legal parents and the genetic parents had no rights to their child or to their children, the twins in this case. I mean, which in this case, if that applied here, your your clients would could be, say, be told they have no parental rights. Correct. And that case was cited by the lawyers for a couple Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <clears throat> and the judge read the decision and commented upon that during her, her oral decision. Yeah. So we came in and brought the writ and the judge immediately got all the lawyers on the phone and said, okay, I want, I want the children tested and I want my clients tested. I want to know what those results are. We're not going to, we're not taking Cha's um, results as the gospel here. Get our own, (laughs) considering how much they screwed up. So we did that. They they came back a hundred percent that these were their children. And then counsel. These um, were couple M and couple T's separate. Yeah. Couple T was not in the picture yet. Couple T did not come in until couple M was what had completed their case, actually. They came about two weeks later. So they didn't even know? They knew, but they did nothing because couple T was implanted and with with an embryo, and it was 
her child. It was their child. Oh, and it was implanted at the same time. The birth was oh. about a week off or two weeks off. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. So there you have wow. twins. <clears throat> twins, right? You have twins, essentially, with two different birth dates. Right. Carried by different women. Wow. Right. And we're trying to get the birth certificates changed so that there's not this discrepancy for these kids for the rest of their lives that they have different birth dates, notwithstanding that they really were born on different days. They're born <laughs> about the same time. Like, how do you explain? Yeah, my brother's born two weeks later. Oh, wait. So you they tried to change the official birth date of one of the children? The legal parent is trying to change the birth date of the second child born to couple Q. Wow. Interesting. Um, hmm. So that... Their children, who are essentially the same age, have the same birthday, and life could be a little bit more normal. Interesting. Wow. Do you know if that if is that in progress? Or do it's you know still in progress. It hasn't happened yet. And okay. now with everything going on, um, that's going to be hell right. for a couple couple right. minutes. Yeah. Right. Okay. But so we went in, and couple Q opposed our application. They wanted to retain. The two children as their own. They had been birthed. They had been been taken care of. They were feeding the children. They were changing their diapers. They were, you know, taking care of them as their own. And I think I think they were very hard pressed that how could they give up these children that, you know, grew in her body and were birthed and that they've loved? How do they not at least make the argument. I don't think they could willingly just turn the children over. I think they needed a judge yeah. to do it. Yeah. The lawyer made a very so long and impassioned argument, but the court ultimately used our case from the Court of Appeals, the Brooke case, to talk about intended parents. And basically yeah. that these children were intended to be the children of different people and not the birth parents. The embryos were intended yeah. to be the children of the people who, whose sperm and egg were utilized to create them, and that that should be the result in the case. Now, crazy, 20 years prior, there was an appellate division decision with similar facts, but not exactly the same, but basically a mix-up of an embryo being implanted. And okay. the court 20 years ago basically used that reasoning, that you know, the intent was for that child to be the product of the other two parents and not where that embryo ended up. Right. That was the Fasano case? Yes, that- I think that's that, that's correct. Right. So the judge ruled and it was very emotional. She had actually cleared the courtroom. No one was in the courtroom wow. except the wow. lawyers, the parties, her personnel, Um yeah. It was it was very, very emotional. As soon as she ruled, both parties were crying um, yeah. hysterically. I mean, it was really just, it's, it was a lot of pent up emotions. Yeah. Um, the judge ordered- and, and you, I assumed you were also crying hysterically. That's you we, we kept our cool and I'll, I'll tell you when <laughs> we kind of lost it, which is the following oh, day. Yeah. So the judge, I had asked for the child to be turned over immediately to the legal parents she wanted a slower transition, and I felt that's more painful for both to have to turn over the child and then return and then turn over the child yeah. and return. But that's what the judge wanted. Yeah. So 
On Saturday, we arranged for a nanny and a taxi with a, with a um, car seat to pick up the child from couple Q and transfer the child to couple M. And basically it was like, it was a, it was minute by minute because the nanny had us all on text. So we knew when she got there, we knew when the mom came out with the baby, we knew when they were in the car, we knew when they were being transported. And we were just all on pins and needles. Like, was she going to turn the child over? Yeah. You know, was she going to do it? And it was just, that's when we kind of had the emotional release. I just remember I was overwhelmed. As soon as the baby was in in my client's hands, I knew I was just totally overwhelmed. It was it was an incredible moment. But then wow. she had to turn the baby back. <sighs> At the end of the day, they did the same thing on Sunday, went off flawlessly, and then they did the official turnover on the, that Monday. And what I did was I had both couples come together at the hotel where my clients were staying. I felt that they needed closure. And I felt that they needed to see yeah. each other from a human point of view and not from litigants, not from the legal. Yeah. And so we came into the conference room and they just all started crying again and hugging. Everybody hugged for like 25 minutes. It was amazing. And wow. they just talked. They talked about the pregnancy. They talked about... Um, what the kids were like and what my client's daughter was like. It was, it was extremely moving. I have to say it, it was, it was everybody knew in the room, it was the right result. So, you know, and then we had to get the judgment of parentage signed by the court so that these children could legally be with my clients. They could get on a plane, go back to California, live their life, change the birth certificate, get the medical records. I mean, there was a lot of, a lot, we had to change the social security number. Like there was a lot of things that we needed in the order to get this child because he had been named and, and so on by couple Q and we needed couple M to be able to name their child and, and have everything they need. Right. Yeah. I told you, um, did you pick yourself up off the seat? Right. Yeah. <laughs> it was really right. something. I've never had anything like that. I can tell you it's the, other than the Brooke case, it's probably been the only time I really felt like being a lawyer meant something really important. That You just changed wow. people's lives forever. And it was, yeah, they, they have a really special place in my heart. And I know, I mean, my client sends me texts all the time and she texted, how are you doing here with COVID? Like they are always checking yeah. in on me. It's just, it's lovely. We just have a bond that's never going to end. <laughs> It's a pretty intense experience wow, to go through, yeah. In, in, in like four days. Yeah. Wow. Oh, in four days. That was all that fast. I mean, she came to me and then we got the, you know, I think they flew in on a Thursday. Friday, we filed our application. The, the testing was done that like Monday or Tuesday. We were back in court yeah. that following Friday and they had the child in their hands that Monday. So 10 days. And all I know she kept saying was she said, she kept saying to me, you promised me you would get me my son. You promised me you'd get me my son. Oh. So it was like, really, you know, it moves you. Yeah. Do you know how things turned out for everyone else? How did Couple T? So fare? Couple T came to me about two weeks later um, or like a week after the process. Another lawyer was trying to do this from California and wasn't having any results. So they came to me and... We did their turnover. The couple Q voluntarily turned over the child. They knew they had to. There was the prior order. And I think theirs took 
maybe 72 hours to effectuate. Um, so it wasn't as, to be honest, it wasn't as dramatic. It was for them to, to, to receive their son. Yeah. But, but the, for the lawyers and the, and the judge, you know, it, it had, and actually I had to go to a different judge. The judge I, who did it the oh. first time around was on vacation. So <sighs> I, I, we got to the judge who, you know, we know all the matrimonial judges and he had heard about the case from the other judge. Mm-hmm. So he kind of knew a little bit was going on and he wanted the background and I gave him the order of the judgment parentage. And he says, well, what do I have to do with this? And I just said, sign it. And he said, okay. <sighs> I mean, he trusted me. Wow. He, he's like, I trust you that you guys know what you're doing. Well, and it sounds like it yeah. wasn't as contentious. that time. It wasn't contentious like at, time, at yeah. that point. No. I mean, we kind of yeah. knew what we had to do and get it all done. And it was, it was tough. I mean, I would really love to know that there's a happy ending for couple Q. Is there, is there anything we know about them? I, I or don't. Children in their future? I don't. Yeah. They were absolutely lovely. And I do mm-hmm. remember seeing her the last time in court for couple T and she hugged me and thanked me. Mm-hmm. I think she just felt like, like I, I understood the emotional part of this. I knew that there had to be closure. Yeah. Like I understood what she needed. Um, she had to make sure to have the personal side of meeting the other moms to know her children were going to be okay. Yeah. And that's that's probably rare for you that the, uh, you know, the opposing party. Hugs you. Hugs you. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah <laughs> it doesn't happen. You, right? <laughs> I don't know how often that happens to you, right? Yeah. Now, maybe to hug um, me and throw me off a building, but that's about it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. I mean, from there, the story from each of their perspectives, like starting the story, like being called in for a DNA test is crazy. But from her side of, you know, going through infertility treatment, having the transfer work, being pregnant, you know, having like at least a red flag of the the Mm -hmm. ultrasound, but then, you know, just to brush it off and then to be, give birth to two healthy children and then find out they're not yours can... You know, I can't even imagine the yeah, and, emotional Yeah, and my client pain. said to me when she was in the meeting with Cha, she said the first thing she said to them was, well, how does, how does she feel? How does the, you know, you know, Q mom feel? Like she's been carrying these kids. Like, how is she doing? Like there really yeah, was an immediate like, oh my God, like she's, she's worse off than me. Right. Yeah. You know? To what, yeah. Oof. To what extent can you talk about kind of the um, the fertility clinic's responses to what happened, or maybe what they should have done? I don't. Well, I don't know. they, you know, they as, as soon as this became known to the couples, they all got lawyers. There was uh, there was filings that happened <clears throat> after the children were exchanged. I don't oh. know if Cha is still in business. I know oh. I know that my clients, couple M, settled. I don't know if couple T engaged in any litigation against um, Cha. Mm -hmm. I really, I'm not as close with them as I am with couple M. And couple Q sued Cha in New York. And the last I heard was that 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 case was still going on. So I don't, I don't know. um, I mean, I'm hoping that she pursued children with another clinic, but I don't, I don't know. Right. Yeah. Well, we definitely hope that somehow after going through all of that, there's some kind of happy ending for that, that family. Um, 
But it does sound like there is at least a happy ending for your client that there was a first birthday recently and they're all doing well. Yes. Oh, yeah. The babies are doing the babies were healthy. The babies were fine. They were well taken care of. Um, yeah, there was there was no issue. And I think that they I think that each of the intended parents, couple M and couple T, made a decision that not to. Uh, not for their children to have a relationship with couple Q, because I think it would be extremely confusing. And, you know, there's, yeah. there's a, there's a cultural, big cultural difference. So. Mm. Do couple M and couple T have a relationship and their children have a relationship? No. No. Okay. No, nope, not at all. Yeah. Do you know if they're, do you know if um, your clients ever intend to tell or I guess maybe because it's public. So well, it's public. put it this way. If their child would know, put it this right? way. They might run across it in news clippings, yeah. Well, <laughs> right. they don't live that far apart. So yeah. I think at some point, they're going to run into each other. And something will probably come out. And I was very clear with my clients, too, though. I said, you have to be honest about all of this. Don't lie about it. Don't tell a story about it. I think to be honest is is important because at some point he's going to have to know. And, you know, it's nothing to be shameful about. You didn't do anything wrong. He right. didn't do anything wrong. Right. Someone else did something wrong. And in the end, it turned out okay. Right. And I think that's probably a really good takeaway for, I mean, I feel like that's a big takeaway. We, we talk about a lot in this area generally with egg donation and sperm donation. Obviously that was not, what was going on here, the intention, but just this situation of being honest with your children about how they were conceived, really. So when the, they learn the truth later, which inevitably comes out, that they don't feel like there was something shameful or wrong about their their story or some reason that it was it was kept from them. Absolutely. Even what you know, we did the same with our kids who were both adopted. Right. That's that's great. Um. Any other takeaways uh, from from this incredible story, aside from deciding who will play you in the? Oh in the God, no, <laughs> um, no, that was it was it was pretty um, it it was pretty tough, and it actually it actually was the precursor or the initiation of me into the surrogacy world, so that oh. I met um, I met this other woman, Alexis Sorrell who's a matrimonial attorney in New York and a good friend of my partner, Sophie. And she's very involved in surrogacy. And so she brought me into the entire fold of, you know, advocating for sur paid gestational surrogacy to be legal in New York. And, and I think she, we, have and, to, we have and, to put a pin right here. And Ellen was, wants to, but hold on. So Ellen's going to play. We're going to go back and she's going to have a little part put in I right here. Yes. Okay, ready? Insert. Right. Q. Oh, wait, oh no, 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 no. I'll, I'll, oh, you're no, gonna I'm play gonna, it right now. I'll play oh, okay. it. I'm gonna. That way you can know what you're <laughs> responding to. So, just for our listeners, if you go back and listen to episode 17 with um, Eric Rubel, our previous interview, we did talk briefly about surrogacy law in New York. So I'm just gonna play a really tiny clip to to discuss. Hold on. Through um, uh, actions. Or it could be created through surrogacy agreements. In New York, surrogacy is not allowed. Surrogacy agreements are not enforceable. However, a surrogacy agreement could be utilized to prove 
that someone is is in a preconception agreement because you're both listed as parents. Sure. And uh, just because this is currently happening, I'm, I'm curious your thoughts. I know there's been panels convened and there's um, bills proposed to change the law. Do you do you think that's going to happen, that they'll change in New York? the law to make sure it's... Mm-hmm. No, never. For, for Albany, <laughs> never. the legislation to change really? anything. New, new Jersey just flipped. You know, New Jersey just changed it last week. Uh, yeah, I know. But, but, but Albany is pretty dysfunctional. And, and to, to get anything done on the okay. family law... Aside, oh. it's very, very, very difficult. I mean, there has been bills pending regarding de facto parentage for several years. Okay, I'll stop torturing you. I'm just going to point but out those words how really tasted op- good. But, I mean, I love eating my words. They were true, delicious. True, Thank true, you for lunch. How optimistic and positive I was about the change of law, and you were like, never, and I'm never. So happy I was wrong. All right, that's a wonderful right? thing to be wrong about. Exactly, it's, it's absolutely. <laughs> so it sounds like so. Then you got involved in surrogacy advocacy to help try to pass this positive bill to support intended parents and surrogates in New York. Tell us a little bit about what you did there. Okay, so um, when I spoke to you guys last. Um, there was a case I talked to you about where a couple had a baby and then the baby was taken away by the and, and there was an adoption of this other child. And um, the lawyers there were Nina Rumbold and Denise Seidelman. And I got to know them when our case was done. And when they saw my decision in this about the surrogacy, they were like, hey, you got to you got to help us with this. You got to help us pass this this bill. So. I started to get involved and I said, okay, I will go up to the, you know, when they go up to advocate in Albany, I said, I'll go, I'll meet with assembly people and, and, and argue for it. So this past February, so in in 2019, the bill did not pass. Right. It came very close. Very close. It it, it passed in the Senate, but the assembly wouldn't, the the, the assembly wouldn't put it up. So um, this year, the governor decided to, to tie it to the budget. Um, very smart move. And we went up in February. I went up with Denise. I went up with um, Alexis and we lobbied assembly people to um, to do this and and pointing out how important it was. I would say there were there were a couple hundred people and I would say there were about two men who who, who joined it. It was really yeah. pushed by women. And I thought, I mean, to hear the stories, I have to say I've I've not heard those stories. And we had both parents and surrogates who were there. And it Mm -hmm. was lovely. It was amazing to hear from the surrogate's point of view because I had never had that. And I think that the um, one of the things that I heard, which was somewhat disturbing, was one aide for a legislator said to the group and it was it was. You can take it how you want it. He said, basically, well, I understand why you want to do that, why you want surrogacy and you can afford it. But my my boss, you know, her constituency is pretty poor. So this doesn't really concern them. First, I thought it was a rude statement to make to these people in the room. Right. But second, Absolutely. I said to him, you don't get it. I said, this is a stimulus package. This is gonna. This is to help your constituents help themselves. This is a financial package. This is income that's available to someone to help them 
get out of the situation that they are in or get their family out of the situation that they are in. I said, your constituents should want this bill passed immediately to help them. Yeah, I mean, I definitely, we we faced this recently in Colorado when we were advocating for a fertility care access bill where some of the arguments would be like, well, it doesn't help my people or it doesn't help everyone and therefore I'm against it, which doesn't make any sense. It just, you know, if you can help a lot of people, but not every single right. one, doesn't doesn't make sense to that's be like against saying, I'm not going to pay the yeah, why does in front it hurt of somebody's you? house because not everybody is going to drive in front of that person's house, you know? <laughs> Or it's the arguments right. against um, it's it's a it's an argument we heard a lot when um, same sex marriage was trying to be legalized, and it was how does my marriage hurt yours? Right. What does my marriage do to your marriage? Right. Nothing. Right. So right. how does my how do I choose? And and what was also interesting was the same aide said to one of them, one of the um, moms was, well, why couldn't you just do adoption? Ugh. That is the, always the most offensive you know, was, it, ever about surrogacy, right? Right. You know, and I just looked well, at him and, 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 you know, she was so taken aback. Like, I felt horrible. And I just jumped in and I said, the right to choose. You understand the right to choose. You get to choose how you create your own family. Yeah. We don't limit that. And one of the things I found most upsetting with what was happening in New York was when Gloria Steinem, yes. you know, famed feminist writer, yes. came out against it. And I was just so shocked that all of us who were like, believed we are feminists, that we fought right. for the right of women to, to be considered equal and have say over our own lives, that she would come out and say, no, I think the government should have control that to say whether a woman can choose to be a surrogate or not. Like it just it was very upsetting to me. It doesn't make any sense. I mean, it, it just, it right. flies in the face of everything that you believe yeah. in. And, and, and then, and then that he was hearing, you know, well, this is like the handmaid's tale and, you know, it, it's going to result in women being enslaved. And I'm like, where, where is this happening? Right. You know, why are you, why are you just fear mongering? Why not look at the positive? And if there are, I had one judge talk to me and said, well, my problem, I'm, I'm against it because it doesn't take care of the surrogate after the pregnancy. And I said, why are you against it for that reason? We can address that. Right. And it is addressed in the, in the, in the statute. Yeah. It extends the health insurance by 12 weeks after birth or 18 weeks if there's further complications. 12 months. Uh, 12 months. 12 months. The final version has 12 months. Oh, it months does have 12 months. Insurance. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's pretty extensive. Um, yeah. So I, I, well, I want to thank you for all those in New York and the country who, um, for all of your work to change the law and it just this last month. So we're, we're talking in April, 2020 and it just changed this month to become law. And my understanding is it's effective next February, 2021. So I have a te I have a teaser for you guys. Oh, I didn't tell you about it before. Um, we talked. So I'm involved in another court of appeals case. Ooh. And it's how many parents can you have in New York? Which was one of our big topics in the last podcast, where we discussed whether you could have up to five or six possible legal parents of one child. Tell us about your case. So it's a, I can't say much, but it's a a fascinating case. No one's one's married. It's a, there's a, a bisexual woman who had a child with a man. She also had a relationship with another woman who's transgender. 
And when the, when the bisexual woman found out she was pregnant, she went to the guy and said, you're the father. And he's like, no way am I the father. I'm not the father and I'm not doing anything. She went to the, her, her former partner and said, I'm having a baby. And would you raise this baby with me? And she said, absolutely. Wow. And that's what happened. And years yeah. later, um, they want to get dad to terminate his rights and they bring him into court. And he says, I'm not the father. The judge orders a DNA test. He's 100 percent. And the judge issues an order of fraternity. (sighs) But you have this, quote, preconception agreement. I mean, it's not exactly preconception, but it's pretty close to the to the conception time. And she not only they have an agreement, but they fulfill the agreement. In fact, the mom who's seeking parentage is the only one who took the child to the doctor, is the only one who met with the teachers, is the only one who made sure the child was clothed. She did everything. There were times when this child spent months with her and only her. And then the case starts and the the trial judge found that she didn't meet the preconception test and she didn't meet the the, uh, qualifications of equitable estoppel which were just not possible. Wow. I mean, the facts were so clear. Um, yeah. It went to the appellate court. The appellate court said, didn't even address preconception agreement, did not address anything about the um, equitable estoppel argument. And all it said was, the statute says either spouse can bring a writ of habeas corpus under DRL, excuse me, either parent, can bring a a writ of habeas corpus under DRL 70. Either means two. There can only be two parents in New York. And that said, that's it. So we're going, we're we're making a motion to the Court of Appeals to hear this. We haven't been granted leave yet. Um, I Mm -hmm. think they're going to take it. I think they're going to have to take it because I don't, I don't know how you don't address this issue when it is so clear that Many couples, heterosexual and same-sex couples, have to use a third party to help them create a family. Right. Wow, that does sound absolutely fascinating. And I, you know, I, I since we had the last podcast, I've been saying, you know, New York, reckon, New York law recognizes multiple parents. Uh, you know, Eric Rubel has sworn it to me, and it's interesting that there's now a court arguing against you, and you're like not going to put up with that either. <laughs> yeah, there's, there's no two way. decisions from trial courts recognizing yeah. triparentage, and I have one that that you know was ultimately resolved. And the judge issuing a judgment of parentage, acknowledging three people to be the parents of one child. Yeah. Well, that will be very interesting. Oh, yeah. So good luck with that and keep us updated. We'll plan to have you back on. Um, and for that next episode, do you have any other predictions that you can get? <laughs> the Ellen can throw right? your face again. Tease <laughs> <laughs> you about next time. Now, thank God you didn't ask me that. So um, I think I'm clear. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I was hoping you would tell us like, oh, the, you know, COVID will be done April 15th. Oh, I wish. Don't worry, no. I wish. No, I'm, I'm not Trump. I, I don't have that crystal ball. <laughs> no, right. 
Well, we incredibly appreciate you coming on again. The um, I'm honored talk, that you invited me back. I love story. it. Yes, was so, is so fascinating. And it's so great to get to speak to someone who is so knowledgeable and in-depth with part of that and fighting for, you know, as you said, one of the most meaningful times to be an attorney to help someone get their son back. Um, and as well for all your work in New York. And we're so happy for the, for the, uh, the great news and the victory there. Yes, it's wonderful. Thank you. Thank you. Be safe. Thank you again to Eric. And at the beginning, I said that you were on the podcast before. What I really should have said is you've been on the podcast twice before. I was going to say, he's like a super <laughs> podcaster with us. You have our record. You, I mean, that is the most we've ever had one person on the podcast. So that's right. twice the honor. This, twice in this season, even. <laughs> High honors. Thank <laughs> right. you. Right. I, I will say that story, every time I hear it is mind-blowing. But what I really loved hearing was his perspective on how much grace everybody had through the entire thing. You know, that everybody knew that this was an impossible and difficult situation, and they were still adults and kind to each other, which Absolutely. in this day and age mm-hmm. is, you know, kind of kind of amazing. So yeah. kind, we, we all need a lot of kindness. But um, speaking of kindness... It would be a great kindness to us if you would go to iTunes or any of those places that you get your podcasts from and leave us either a review or five stars or some kind of feedback. We really do love Just and appreciate it. One small way to show, show more kindness in the world. Just so easy. Exactly. Little tiny kindnesses. Um, also, we, we love to hear from people. We, we really do love feedback um, at 303 303- 997-1903 is our phone hotline. We would love to hear from you or an email or a Facebook message or a carrier pigeon. Anything you want to send, we would be happy for it. I'd like to see that um, I, you want to see, I would say they have to decide which one of us to send the pigeon to. So that might be a little more difficult. But I feel like those know. are really outdated. It's like Instagram or Facebook or LinkedIn. We're like, where do we come? Twit, Twitter. Twitter. Twit. <laughs> I know. Uh, okay. Tweeted. I don't know. All right. Yeah. Uh, she's she's shown her age. Now we're done. Oh, <laughs> oh, but as always, huge thank you to our team that makes us look and sound incredible. Uh, to Lexi, to Amanda, to Tyler, and of course to Chris at Work at Bird Studios, who does everything in the background for us and makes us sound great. And always huge thank you to you who show up and listen to us thank you 